Hey, on a, on a personal level, um, what are you laughing at? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, we, we moved, Karen, are we like almost on 16 years moving to Hollister? I grow more allergic to Hollister by the year. <sighs> and I am dying this week. Um, I, 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 yesterday when I was just a complete mess, you know, eyes, nose, throat, cough. Um, and then, so I said, okay, when I come to church this morning, when I, I get here, no matter how good the worship is, cause we know it's going to be good. Ron, I'm saying to myself, just worship in your heart. Don't sing. And that was absolutely impossible. It was impossible this morning. So if there are those of you, I'm not asking you not to pay attention during our time in God's word, but if those of you who are great multitaskers, who are able to pray for your pastor as he is preaching while you are still listening at the same time, I could sure use your prayers because I just do not know when my voice might leave, when sneezing might happen. It's just, it's crazy right now. So, uh, I took it by a lot of nod of heads that you feel my pain at this. And, and God is gracious. You know, we live in a fallen world. All creation is groaning. And I think sometimes we, we don't even realize in the simple things that we just think, yeah, I have allergies. There is a day coming. There is a day coming when Jesus will come back and we will breathe properly for the first time. No, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, and the smells that we will smell that aren't tainted by sin, I, I'm, I'm getting into a whole new area of sermon right now, I can get going. But when Jesus returns, we have a new heaven and a new earth, and creation will stop groaning. Our knees will work, our back will work. We will see color through eyes that are no longer stained or tainted or living under the shadow of sin. So I am looking forward to that day. Because it has, been, it has been difficult. Bear with me if my voice goes away. Uh, but you guys, I, I just appreciate the privilege it is to, to, to bring God's word to you. And, and his strength is sufficient. And I know he will, he will get all of us through uh, this morning. Let's, let's pray and then we'll jump into our text. Gracious Father, we, we thank you. Lord, thank you for uh, just where we've already been this morning. Focusing our eyes on you. Singing of the cross. The power over sin was defeated at the cross. Our salvation was accomplished through Jesus Christ at the cross. Lord, we sing of your great name. The name above all names. We sing of your holiness because there is none like you. And so, Father, this morning as we look into your word, we are looking into something that came from a mighty God. God breathed out to us. This is your word. And so, Father, may we lay aside ourselves and through your spirit, may we receive what is written down by Paul so that we would become more like you, so our church would be one that is healthy, vibrant, and working for your glory and your kingdom. Be with us this morning. Be with me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. Please grab your Bibles and, and turn there. Uh, the past weeks we've been 
uh, in chapters four, chapter four, we're going to be here for a while, but we studied verses one through six. And in the full context of this, what this section of scripture is showing us is, is what a healthy church looks like, or the unity that we have is the first point. What is a healthy church? A healthy church must be unified. We have a unity that comes from Christ. And in the text that we're looking at, we have three points that also have some subpoints, but we see that a healthy church is identified by spiritual unity. And we saw this in verses one through six. As Paul said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And in our passages in the last weeks, we saw where does our spiritual unity come from? Well, we're united together by a divine calling. That is why Paul says that we should walk or live in a manner that's appropriate to this calling. That we should walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which we have been called. And we are united together by our salvation through Jesus Christ. We've all received a, a divine call from death to life, from slavery. Now we're free. I love how it says, and when we sing Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. We've gone from being orphans and fatherless to being children of God. And we are united we have a tremendous unity in our salvation. But not only that, because of this, because of what God has done for us, because of our salvation, because of the grace that we have received, we then are also united in our Christ-like conduct on how we live. And so what is a worthy walk? If Paul is challenging us to live a walk worthy of the gospel or worthy of the calling to which we've been called, what does that look like? What are the identifiers of a worthy walk? Well, they're these things. Humility, gentleness, patience, accepting one another in love, and that we all have an eagerness to maintain the unity that we have from God through Jesus Christ. So by God's grace, we live and we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of our calling. Well, not only that, we're also united by the gospel, by the truths that we believe we're united by our doctrine. You see, we have eternal unity in Jesus Christ, and Paul lists seven one statements to show us the oneness or the unity that we have and that we share in the gospel. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father. You see, when this unity is in action... When a church behaves this way, when we act this way, when we are eager to maintain the unity that we have, again, I've said this every single week, we do not create this unity. We have this unity in Christ. We have this unity because God saved us. This is who we are. But when we are eager to maintain it, then it is an awesome testimony to the world and the community around us. What an opportunity we have to show the world the difference 
that we have because of Jesus Christ. How we live with each other because of what Christ has done. So we've seen now how a healthy church is identified by spiritual unity. And today, we're going to see our second identifier of a healthy church. And a healthy church is identified by its people using their spiritual gifts. A healthy church is identified by spiritual gifts in action. Let's read our text this morning. We'll start at verse 1 just to get the whole feel, but we'll be in verses 7 through 12 today. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Today we're going to look at a key passage on the subject of spiritual gifts. And for extra study, I just want to get there right now. If you're taking notes, I would recommend that you maybe take some time this week to look at 1 Corinthians 12, chapters 12 through 14. And even before moving forward this morning, let's all turn to Romans 12. I want to, I want to uh, start there and, and it'll add some flavor and it'll add some uh, insight into our text this morning. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 3, and we'll read through verse 8. And look how it's similar to what Paul wrote in Ephesians. For by the grace given to me, sound familiar? I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ. According to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So look at back in Ephesians. You saw the similarities, didn't you? But grace was given to each one of us 
according to the measure of Christ's gift. I wanted to jump to Romans 12 right away because I think it adds this important truth. And I think it's sometimes that we may forget it a little bit. See, unity does not mean sameness. You understand what I'm saying? Unity doesn't mean that we're all the same. This goes way back and I am really aging myself. But there was a song by Steve Taylor in the 80s that said, I wanted to be a clone. And what he was saying, it was kind of poking fun. It was a little uh, satire, I guess is the word you would say. And he would say, hey, once you get saved, let's take you in the back room and put you in the blue suit. We'll get you the red tie and the white shirt or the blue shirt. And this is how you act. This is how you look. Let's just make everyone look the same. And there was a tendency, and there is sometimes a tendency for us to think that unity means we're all the same. We're not. Amen? How horrible it actually would be if we were. And we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. But you see, our gifts and our roles in the body of Christ, they're diverse. And they bless the church. And we didn't know this. We need to remember this. A healthy church is identified by a diverse people using their diverse gifts in unity. We're all different. So let's break down our passage. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. You see, this grace and these gifts that we see in our context is this. This grace is for ministry. The grace given to us is a ministry grace. Now, we've received saving grace, haven't we? Yes. Amen. And we saw that in chapters 1 through 3. And we saw that. And now we know this too. We have our saving grace, but saving grace brings something with it. And it brings this. God also gives us grace for ministry. He provides the power. And so we receive grace to serve and build up the body of Christ. Remember in chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said this, Grace was given to me. And he doesn't say grace was given to me for salvation. He says grace was given to me for this reason. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. See, he was given grace to preach. We are given grace to serve one another. We are given grace to exercise the gift God has given to us for one another. God gives grace to every believer to do ministry. You know, if you, if you leave today and don't remember anything else, would you remember that? God has given you the grace to do ministry. All of you who are in Christ. And we have a job to do. And so the passage today that we're looking at, it's awesome. It's really awesome. You see, we see our Savior. Look at the Christ-centeredness of it. Look at Jesus in our text. In our verses, Paul focuses on Christ. Jesus, ruler of all, is the generous giver of gifts. Where to receive this gift? From Christ. He gives it to us. And Paul writes this. He says this. Jesus Christ died, 
rose again and ascended into heaven as the victorious ruler who has all authority and he gave gifts to his people. We see Christ's tremendous generosity. The gifts we have been given are used in ministry where we extend the ministry of Jesus here on earth. This is the work of Christ. We are doing God's work by the gift Jesus has given us. And so when you serve the body of Christ, Christ Jesus himself is working with you. When we see the church serving one another in diversity, in our different giftedness that we have, what should we do? Just stop and marvel and worship Jesus. If someone here at Grace Bible Church ministers to you, encourages you, helps you in a time of need, prays for you, shares God's word with you. I didn't write this down, but I was even thinking, even God uses them to convict you of sin. When you are blessed by the body of Christ, never praise the person that it came from. Never praise Grace Bible Church as an organization. Don't praise anyone. Instead, turn your eyes to Jesus and give praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the giver of gifts. He is so generous. He's extravagant in his gift giving. So a church in unity, a church where we minister to one another, must give all the glory to Jesus Christ. He is the giver of gifts. Any blessing we receive, anything at all, anything you receive here at our church or from one another is a blessing from Jesus alone. It is part of God's miraculous and generous grace that allows us to be part of Christ's ministry here on earth. And in verse 8, when we see Paul quote Psalm 68, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That was our scripture reading this morning, but I, I wasn't going to do it, but I have to. Turn back to Psalm 68. I'm just going to pick some sections here to read. I want to repeat what was read this morning. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered. And those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so shall you drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Look down a little bit. And look at verse 17. And then Paul quotes a bit in verse 18. The chariots of God are twice 10,000. 
thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Jump down to verse 32. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to the Lord, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. You see, Psalm 68, if you didn't catch this, is a psalm or a hymn of victory, isn't it? Our victorious, conquering God. And we're part of his victory. You see, in Old Testament times, it was common practice to bring back the spoils of war after a king won a military victory over an enemy. In Numbers 31, it tells of Israel warring against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses to do so. And it says, as Israel conquered It says this, and they took his plunder, all their cattle, their flocks, all their goods, and they brought the plunder and the spoil to Moses. When David fought against Reba and the Ammonites, he fought and conquered, and it says he took the crown of their king and a great amount of spoil. By the way, that crown that David took, it measured a talent of gold, about 75 pounds. It also held a precious stone. You see, the victorious king gets the spoils of war. And Psalm 68 is a hymn of victory. And Paul uses this psalm, and he doesn't quote it exactly, but he uses this psalm as a statement of Christ's victory and Christ's authority. Jesus triumphed over sin. He triumphed over death and hell and the grave. And now Jesus gives his people, his church, spiritually gifted people that we would all minister to his church. Look at verses 9 and 10, back in our text. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. See, Paul speaks and he writes about Jesus, his descent and his ascent. We see Jesus really similar to what we see in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus came down to earth at the incarnation when Jesus was born, right? He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and he humbled himself, becoming a man. He came down and he proved himself to be our Savior and our King and our sacrifice. And then what? He ascended into heaven. And where is Jesus now? The scriptures say that he is our exalted one. That he is the one, as we sang today, high and lifted up. He has the name above every name. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is exalted. You see, Jesus came all the way down, humble to the point of death on a cross, and now he is as high as you can get. 
There is none higher than Jesus Christ. He is the exalted one. Jesus is above all. Jesus Christ fills all. Jesus Christ gives gifts to his people. He is the generous ruler and he is our generous king. And so we all have differing and diverse gifts from Christ. This is what we've been given. So that means we have different responsibilities. You see, we've been given a gracious gift for the purpose of using our gifts for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. We are to be active. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11 says this, As each has received a gift, use it. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Use the gift you've been given. Remember I told you that my mother-in-law a few weeks back gave us an ice cream maker and an espresso machine? Some of you you may not. It's still in the garage. We haven't used it. I got as far as putting like the ice cream container that you freeze. I put it in the freezer. It's ready to go. But we haven't used it. That's not what we're to do with what God gives us. What God has given us, use it. You, You cannot be a Christian on the sideline. Use what God has given, given to you. You see... We have different gifts. We have different responsibilities. And Paul, uh, our passage shows us that Paul shows us what leaders and members do. Each believer has the same value to God. We need to understand that God does not hold any of his children higher in value. But we all do have different roles and different giftedness within his church. Now, can you imagine what it would be like if we were all the same in our giftedness in our position? What would that look like? You ever been in a situation where there's too many chiefs in a room? How's that work for you? It doesn't. You see, there's someone needs to just, you know, calm down a little bit and just pick one and listen. Instead, everyone's like, no, 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 I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And we're like, well, this doesn't work. It would not work if we were all called and gifted to the same role in the same job. I'm a sports guy, and so I apologize if these illustrations don't resonate with you. But have you ever been on a sports team that lacked a crucial position player? You were missing someone? I remember baseball teams, Little League and Pony League and such, asking this, who wants to be the catcher? And all of us would be like, don't look at the coach. Don't want to be the catcher. But you know what a team would be like if you had a person who really loved catching? It's like, oh yeah, put me there. It was was so important. If you had a catcher who didn't want to catch, man, they were miserable back there. Hot, dirty, complaining. You pitched too fast. You hurt my hand. But you get a catcher who loves it, they're like, oh yeah, that's fine. Give me the gear. Let's go. As a kid watching baseball, I always asked my dad this, Dad, how come pitchers are crummy hitters? How come pitchers don't have a good batting average? See, we watched the National League, which is the real baseball league. (laughs) And uh, 
I'd say, why, why can't the pitcher hit? My dad would say this, because they're on the team to pitch and to make outs. Someone else will drive in the runs. It's not their role. It's not their job. Throw strikes, get batters out. Let the first baseman hit the home runs. You never see anyone ask, how come that first baseman's, a, you know, why is he such a crummy pitcher? You wouldn't know. First baseman doesn't pitch. <laughs> oh boy. So I always bet, uh, this is for free. I always begged my coach, I played baseball, I always begged, let me pitch, let me pitch, let me pitch. And he would never let me pitch. Finally, my senior year, we were playing a team that was a little bit weak. Hey. And so he said, all right, I'll give you the start. Just act like you belong out there. <laughs> and, and don't, you know, don't let them know that. I mean, they were a weak team. And he said, don't let them know, but I'll let you pitch. Man, I was so excited. And I got to start one game. And uh, I actually struck out all three of my outs. But do you know I wasn't a pitcher? Along with those three outs, I could throw heat. But I also beaned two batters. I couldn't pitch from the stretch. So once a runner got on, I was wild as can be. I threw a wild throw over to first base trying to pick someone off. And it wasn't my job. I wasn't a pitcher. Man, I wanted to be a pitcher. I begged to be a pitcher. Nope. Go back out in the outfield and then hit the ball. What does that have to do with the church? You see, Paul tells us, tells us the roles of leadership in the church and the roles of the people. And the leaders equip the saints. We're all different, but we have no different value in the body of Christ. Again, just if you don't resonate with sports, can you imagine a worship team full of drummers? Now, actually, on some level, it might be kind of cool. Now I think about it. But we wouldn't sing real well, would we? See, we're all different. And so in verses 11 through 12, we see that the leaders equip the saints for ministry. Let's look at those verses. And he gave. So who is the giver? Jesus. So Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Paul mentions those who are in unique positions of leadership in the church. He lists apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now the title of apostle and prophet, they actually have a quite a broad range of meaning. But we have seen how foundational apostles and the prophets were to the church. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. Actually, we'll start at verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on what? The foundation of of the apostles 
and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Look at chapter 3 and look at verse 5 specifically. We'll start at verse 4 though. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. You see, the apostles and the prophets were foundational to the church. They were, of course, Christ is the cornerstone, but they are the ones who brought the gospel of Jesus Christ really to the ends of the earth. We here today are built upon the foundation that the apostles and prophets gave to the church. They proclaim the gospel. They proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. And so when we see this, in a technical sense, apostles refers to the 12. Peter, James, John, you know the list. Which would mean that we do not have apostles anymore. So in a technical sense, apostle refers to the 12. But now in a broad or a general sense, it can also mean or refer to one who was sent. A sent one. And we have people who are sent today, do we not? Jesus said, go into all the world. We have missionaries who are sent. Prophets. Prophets were primarily foretellers who spoke for God. Remember they would say, thus saith the Lord. Now, there were also times that they did be future tellers. Daniel, right? Isaiah. I mean, the prophecies in Isaiah, speaking of Christ, they're right on. Daniel, right on. They were forth tellers who would tell the king, hey, let me tell you about your dream. Right? Daniel would do that. But they would also, Isaiah, Jeremiah would say, thus saith the Lord, turn from your wickedness and turn to God. They were truth tellers. They were one who would say, this is what God is saying to you. And so, we see prophets throughout the Old Testament, and we also see them being mentioned as being part of the early church. If you want to write down some references for further study, Acts 11, 27 through 28. Acts 13, verse 1. Acts 15, 32. Acts 21, 21 verse 9. 1 Corinthians, chapter 14, verse 32. So used in a technical sense just as we did with the apostles, Grace Bible Church does not hold to a view that we still have biblical prophets in the same way that we see in the Old Testament and in the early church. Now, there is great danger of one who would say today, thus saith the Lord. It must, it must, it must back up 100% with Scripture. You see, this is what's wonderful. We have the written word of God. We have within the Bible everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. God has been so gracious to us. You see, God has given us his perfect and inspired word, which does reveal all we need for salvation, life, and godliness. In a general sense, as the apostles 
are in a general, general sense the sent ones. Prophets, though, in a general sense, are those who apply God's word to God's people. They're truth tellers. And they apply God's word to God's people. Now, I don't have this in my notes. I know that this is a much discussed uh, theological issue. Study it. Study it. Look at the scriptures. I've given you passages. But I will tell you this. Nothing will ever go against God's written and revealed word. Ever. And there is a danger, a tremendous danger, for those who would boldly say, I have extra revelation. Contend, fight earnestly for the faith, it says in Titus. I think. Someone nod your head if it's Titus. Contend earnestly for the faith which was delivered once for all the saints. There's nothing extra. We have and we contend and we fight for our faith that was delivered to us. It's wonderful. This Bible is amazing. Even in English. Read it and know it. Great care has gone throughout the world, throughout the ages, to care for this book. Why? It's God's word. Breathed out to us. Evangelists are those who are gifted in proclaiming the gospel. But everyone is called to evangelize. You can't say, I don't have the gift, so I don't tell anybody. That's a cop-out. That's wrong. Can't do that. But there are some who are uniquely gifted in this area, aren't there? All right, I want you to do something right now. How many of you can think of someone that you know who is gifted in evangelism? See some nodded, nodding heads? Can you think of someone? Do you have someone in mind? Okay. Just because you are not them doesn't mean you don't evangelize. Keep in mind who you know God has gifted in this area. You know what I want you to do right now just in, the, in your heart? Shoot, you could do it out loud. I wouldn't even care. You see someone or you know someone gifted in evangelism? Give glory to the generous gift giver, Jesus Christ. He has equipped some who do fantastic, outstanding jobs in evangelism. I know some of you. I know some of you always weave the gospel into every conversation that you have, and it amazes me how well you do it. Keep doing it. There are some who are gifted in evangelism and they don't even have a clue they're gifted in evangelism. They just do it. Because Jesus is a tremendous and generous gift giver. Paul speaks of those who minister within the church. The pastor, the teacher. The word shepherd also appears right alongside of this. 1 Peter 5 verse 2. Acts 20 verse 28. John 21, verse 16. You see, pastor is to be understood as the same terms used for elder and overseer. That's why we use these terms interchangeably here at church. 
pastor, shepherd, overseer, teacher. You see, this is what the scriptures teach. If you need some references for this, how they all interchange. Acts 14, verse 23. Acts 20, verse 17, and verse 28. 1 Timothy 4, 14. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 19. Titus 1, verse 5 and verse 7. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. You see, Scripture teaches that pastors oversee the flock. They oversee the church. Hebrews 13, 17 says this. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. Pastors, shepherds, elders, overseers are called by God to nurture, to defend, to protect, to know, and to sacrifice their lives for the flock. In turn, the scriptures also teach that they are to be honored and respected. But who is the chief shepherd? Who's the head shepherd? Jesus Christ. You know, we see that theme in the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. Because the Lord is my shepherd. God is the ultimate protector. God is the ultimate provider. He cares for his people. He protects his sheep. In the New Testament, it continues on. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Hebrews calls him the great shepherd. 1 Peter 5, verse 4 calls him the chief shepherd. Remember, Jesus is the chief. He is the chief shepherd. Pastors are under shepherds. In our text it says this. Pastors and teachers. So what does that mean? There is a link. Do you see it? I see this as a close association of functions between two kinds of ministers within the church. Some hold the two groups as identical. Pastor, teacher. But right here we have pastors and teachers. So what is it? Galatians 6, verse 6. Actually, we can turn there because it's one, one, one page over. One who is taught the word of God must share all good things with the one who teaches. So we have a distinct teacher. There are pastors and teachers. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 28 through 29 also lists teachers as a separate or a distinct group. So how does it work? It's like this. All pastors teach. It's part of their role. It's part of their responsibility. It's part of shepherding. But not all teachers are pastors. That makes sense? All pastors will teach. It's part of the ministry of shepherding and overseeing. But not all teachers are called to be pastors, elders, shepherds, or overseers. I know myself, I've been spiritually nourished by teachers of God's word who are not pastors or elders. Yet they really do and truly have the gracious gift of teaching God's word to people. When we run across pastors and teachers and those who teach us God's word, what are we to do? Praise the generous gift giver, Jesus Christ. 
See, these gifted saints work for God's glory, for his church, for this purpose. Why do we work? It's because of this. Because all of us are gifted and equipped to do the work of ministry within the body of Jesus Christ. Leaders prepare and teach and train and equip God's people for ministry. Everyone works. Everyone has a role. Everyone serves one another. Every member a minister. You've probably been in a church somewhere in your life where they have that as a a banner at some point, right? Maybe not. I, I grew up in church since like before I was born. So I remember that. Every member a minister. And we would see these things. But it's true. We all work. We've all been given a generous gift from Jesus Christ. So what are you doing? We must ask that. We have to ask, what are you doing? You see, the church will be energized in worship and we'll be exalting Christ in mission when all of us serve one another. When we serve, when we care for one another, when we teach each other, when we provide for each other in our church, when we care for those in need, when we give a meal to a new parent or those who are recovering from illness, when we serve each other, the church is edified, it's blessed, and it's built up. You see, we grow up. Our body becomes strong when we all work for God's kingdom within our local church. When we serve, we are using the giftedness God has given to us in his grace. All of us, you, are all part of Christ's work here on earth. You're all part of his kingdom work. You are all part of God's eternal plan. You know what that means? You're part of something big. You're part of something very, very big when you're part of Christ's church. You know what's neat? Neat, that's a good word. It's a youth pastor word, isn't it? If God called you to move to the middle of nowhere and you were a part of a church with 10, 15 people, you know what? You would be part of something big. I love this quote from Paul Tripp. Listen carefully. Your life is much bigger than a good job or an understanding spouse and non-delinquent kids. It is bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity transporting them into his likeness and he wants you to be a part of it. And so he's a generous gift giver. So let's spend our lives working for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are good. We thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for how you care for us. Lord, how each of us have been blessed 
by one another. Throughout our lives, we have been blessed by other Christians. We've been encouraged. We've been rebuked. We've been cared for. We've been prayed for. We've been loved. We've received mercy from one another. And Father, we give glory to no man because of that, because your word so clearly taught us and teaches us today that this comes from you. Thank you for our Lord and Savior, our ruler, Jesus Christ, who is the generous giver of gifts. And so, Father, help us to be people who are active. Lord, for those in here who may think, I don't fit in, I don't have a role, Oh, Father, may your Holy Spirit work within them and may they start to move. And Lord, you will reveal to them exactly what they're to do, their role in your church. Father, thank you for the differences that you've given us. Thank you how we all see things a bit different, but we know we can always go back to your perfect and holy word and walk in unity, even as we see things differently sometimes. Father, I thank you for those in here with mercy. Lord, I thank you for those in here who cut it dry and cut it and proclaim what your word says without compromise. Lord, we need each other. So Father, keep us from sin. Keep us in your word. Keep us in communion with you. Father, may we be people who walk by the Spirit so that we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And Lord, may we gather together, each one of us working together for the building up and the equipping of the body of Christ. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your church universal. And Father, we especially thank you that by your mercy and grace, we are here this morning at Grace Bible Church. Lord, we're part of something big. Not by our own efforts, not by any talent or ability we have, but you, the generous giver, have given us gifts to do your work. May we be faithful. May we be obedient by your mercy and by your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.